Hi, and welcome to the Indie Music Podcast, the podcast for independent musicians and other audio professionals. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Denton, also known as Mojo of Ragged Birds Music. I'm a Bay Area mix engineer and recording artist. And Douglas Reynolds of Resonance Mastering, a mastering engineer in Bloomington, Illinois. Welcome to Indie Music Podcast, episode 234. Tonight, Matt and Doug get together and talk about parametric EQ. But before they get into that, they decided that we'll start recording on Saturdays and releasing on Wednesdays. Doug blows a main speaker and is planning on getting a new set of mains. They get into a discussion of stereo imaging. Doug goes off on a tangent about mastering tips. And they wrap up talking about high and low passing and high frequency poltergeists. Enjoy the show. Good morning, Doug. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. <laughs> Happy Saturday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're we're doing an unusual Saturday morning recording. Which I, I kind of like, to be honest Yeah, with I got you. no complaints. I mean, I, I would vote for just doing it on Saturdays if, it, if we were like a week ahead, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I generally do the post on Sunday mornings, so. Yeah, because things... During the week, it's so busy. Saturday's a little bit yes. more relaxed. This morning for me hasn't been as relaxed as I wish it would have been, but it's all good. Yeah. Well, I think the difference is that uh, your turnaround for files is short now. That's because I'm freaking good at this. <laughs> no, I meant <laughs> you have a shorter time if we record on Saturday, if I'm doing post on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I can turn it around right <laughs> afterward. Yeah, if we do it on the evenings, then I can't get to it until the next day or the following day after that sometimes. Yeah. So, well, maybe we end up moving it to Saturday morning after all. Who knows? I'm all good with that. It just seems more relaxed. I like having coffee with you is fun. Yeah, I agree. And we're not Although all. I tend to have my coffee uh, like at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I think <laughs> not being pressed for time like adds to just sort of the relaxed atmosphere and conversation you know that's true that's true yeah i agree with that it is more of a more of an npr feeling yeah i mean you know <laughs> we could go to a different day we could like go out on wednesdays true. instead of mondays is there any rules true. that's true i'd i'd probably still want to do post on sunday though oh yeah yeah but that would give time for our promo posts and the social media aspects of it and not put um, Steve and Zach under pressure for yeah. trying to get stuff out really quick because it's our fault, you know? Well, hey, it's our, it's our podcast, our rules. Let's do that. We can do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Because this is like so much easier. It's, it's just nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's good for me. I mean, um, I, I was going to run some errands, but you know, I'm such an early riser that nothing I wanted to do was open yet. So yeah, I, I was, I was kind of stuck anyway. So I went for a walk. Oh, hey, <laughs> I owe you an apology because somehow a limiter got put on my master bus in the last episode. I don't know why or what the deal was. It must've come in because I, I copy from one episode to the next, delete the audio from it and save it as a new podcast episode yeah. you know and so the episode before so that would have been 232 i must have had really low output in my audio signal and i ended up putting a limiter on it to bump it up got it and then i left, left it, it on. on there 
Yeah, so as I saw your waveform and it looked like it was, it did look limited. I was like, dude, this is crushed. So, and it's fine. I just turned it down. It mixed right in. Well, you know, as a mastering engineer, I feel we should brick wall everything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and as a mix engineer, I just see brick walled stuff and roll my eyes and just turn it down. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's all good. So, so my dilemma this morning. I blew a speaker. You did? I blew a speaker. How did you do that? You know, I'm not actually sure. I did have one event where I wasn't wearing my glasses and I went and I switched routing and I had a feedback loop event. Oh, no. And I didn't have my uh, monitors dimmed, but that was just momentarily. And I hit the, the dim button on my monitor controller like within a second of hearing it hadn't even, it was coming up. It didn't max out or anything like that. I just heard the feedback starting. And so I dimmed it. Um, but that's the only thing I can think of other than the fact that my studio monitors are uh, 25 years old. I was going to say, are they old? Yeah. And, yeah. and it may just be because I use the heck out of them, you know? So, yeah. And it's just that time. And I went searching everywhere to try and find a replacement driver. It's a mid driver on one of my, on the left side. And I can't find a replacement speaker for this. Huh? So anyway, today's been, what kind of monitor is it? It's, these are an early nineties Yamaha reference studio series. It's an NS series. Oh, okay. NS series three way studio. And well, I'm surprised you can't find a replacement and for they, that. Although you might have to get like you might have to buy a matched set and put yeah, one each. Yeah. And the ones that I found weren't for the right models and it's hard to tell. And there was only one and it was missing like the dust cap and it looked like it had been abused. So <laughs> Yeah, and trying to find a pair, I would definitely want to replace the pair of them. Yeah, because otherwise they, one would sound different because yeah. one would be 25 years broken in and the other would be brand new. They would definitely have a difference. So this morning, I, I mean, because I'm right in the middle of sessions right now. So this is really. Oh, hard. is this the crisis you were telling me about? Yeah. And, oh, now it makes sense. And so I went to all three pawn shops this morning, zero, nothing <laughs> but junk. And uh, so anyway, looks like. I'm going to, it's not my, it wasn't in my plan. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. So, but we're going to, I'm going to get a pair of new reference monitors, speakers, and hopefully they'll be really good, but they're going to be a kind of a stepping stone to what my plan is. So anyway, that's going to set me back in time to reach my goals for what I really wanted. Which was new mains. Yeah, right. new, well, I'm getting new mains, but I'm not getting the mains that I want because the I've been saving and the budget's not right. there yet. So, got it. And because it's really expensive, you know. Oh yeah. So going to you'll uh, get there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there. and so later on, I guess whatever I end up getting here, and you know, I hate shopping for speakers online. You know, how do you really know? Um, so it's gonna you don't you don't know, and so it's it's not just. Oh, there, go find the speakers. It's, oh, there's a speaker. And then let's go read reviews and let's see if there's anything on YouTube about them. And, and so every one that I'm interested in is like a 30 minute thing, you know? 
Yeah. <laughs> and that adds up. Yeah. There's, there's your Saturday gone right there. Yeah. So, um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm going to end up getting. I, otherwise, I'd announce it now, but I, I don't know what I'm getting. Well, I kind of know what the short list is because we've talked about it before. Yeah. Before you said you didn't want them, we had a short list going. Yeah, it's not those. Because those were oh. those were for replacing those, the, my oh those were the near fields the near fields uh, right. yeah so I'm, I'm looking for replacing the 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 three way mid to far field got it speakers so oh yeah I got nothing on that I can't help you there <laughs> and they're passive too so yeah because I run I run an amplifier so that that actually I thought was going to make it easier and less expensive but that's not true interesting. It's actually that, that there's surprises me a little. The market's flooded with active speakers. It's easy to find active monitors, but yeah, trying to find passive reference speakers is a different deal. It really kind of leads you more into the home hi-fi audio file market, which is fine, right? And because really listening on on those types of reference speakers is perfect for mastering, in my opinion, and. Because the detail, as long as you don't get speakers that have color. And so trying to find speakers with flat responses and, and that are kind of truthful, I guess, is, you know, is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't have like pushed mids or pushed highs or, or at least not so much that I can't correct it. Because I've got a lot of control over that. But yeah, you got the DSP going. Yeah. So you could fix that if you had to. Yeah. You'd rather not. Yeah. So as long as it's not huge. And um, so anyway, we'll see what happens. Maybe today will end up being an exciting day, but right now <laughs> it's not. I don't know. I feel like New Year's Day is always exciting, uh, even if it's to replace something that yeah. broke. But so anyway, I got to, as soon as I figure out what I'm doing, I got to send out some client messages and let them know there's yeah. going to be some delays. Because I, I, you know, I mean. I can't sit here and master with one side with no mid on, on one side, you know, just call it mono. Yeah. I could master uh, mastering in mono mastering in mono. Yeah. So, you should do a TikTok on that. <laughs> you know, I check in mono, but I only do my mix checks for my, uh, against my engineer's stuff in that yeah. to determine and to make sure there's no phase cancellation. Yeah. 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 And I agree. But I don't actually do mastering in mono. I wonder if anybody no, does. I don't, I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> I always go back and check. Did I mess up anything in the in in the mono um, reproduction? Space. Have I messed anything yeah. up? Basically, is basically what I'm checking for. Right. Yeah, because especially if you're going to even add the tiniest bit of stereo width to a to a two track, you want to check for any phase issues or yeah. did the center drop out or did you lose some bottom end all that kind of stuff yep and i'm so happy to say that i don't even have a stereo imager widener whatever in my it's not even in my template thing anymore oh and uh i'm so happy about That's that because you do a lot of mid-side yeah and it works right? so nice Instead. and with there's no artifacts and it's so much subtle it's got i just have a lot of control over it you know and uh and it uh there's not a lot of weird stuff that you don't know what the plugin is doing going on where where i know exactly what i've done in order to work with that so i like i like that approach better 
when I used to use them, I'd actually get people going and what are you using a stereo imager on this? <laughs> oh, really? You know, and uh, um, even though it was very subtle, but people, you know, clients were were hearing it, and and I was like, you know, yeah. that that's it's not you shouldn't, you shouldn't hear no, it. it shouldn't be noticeable. It should just be like feel like it's a little like it's a little bigger, but you don't know why. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and broader. And so, yeah, to be honest, I like, um, the only one, I mean, I've used a bunch in the past, uh, here and there. And the only one I really like is the ozone imager. Cause you can't, it, it's subtle. You can't really tell that much. Yeah. It just adds like a tiny bit of width. And I feel like I like that. And the only other one that I've been using that I like lately is, um, some of the BX plugins, like, uh, the digital, um, the digital EQ and, uh, I think the pass EQ, which is not Brainworks, but um, just instantiating them without doing anything, uh, kind of because of the way they do right and left or mid side or however they're programmed, they uh, add like a real, like a stable width without having to do much. I know a lot of people like that BX digital limiter three to do width. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of these days it's my goal is to, which we did talk about was that SSL fusion mm-hmm. processor. Yeah which is a master bus processor. And that actually has some, I'm not sure how it does it. It's got some stereo widener, Mm -hmm. a section to it. It's got like what it's got three or four or five sections of stuff uh, with dynamics and EQ and uh, transformer and stereo image and stuff. And and so it's a, it's a neat analog piece. I don't know. It's probably doing some digital stuff on that. I, I, I don't know, but um you know, if I ever do anything back with stereo image, it's also midside. Yeah, so it's probably doing it using midside for its stereo image stuff. But mm-hmm. that would be the step that I'd go. But it's lower in priority than say like parametric new EQ. Speakers. <laughs> yeah, and new speakers. Yeah, exactly. And to kind of segue it's, into what I was, I, yeah, I heard you trying to segue. I did want to say that you know <laughs> what I what I've heard is. Um, the, I think, I think this trend is over, but there was a trend there briefly when stereo imaging processing became available widely and <laughs> widely and, um, <laughs> people started using it too much and it's actually possible to make it sound like the sound is folding back on itself and it's just, yeah, I, I really dis- artificially too wide and it kind of hurts your brain cause it's yeah. almost like a, it's a, it's a, it's almost like it's out of phase. When you get it too wide. Yeah. Now I, I have had feedback on one of the techniques that I use is to use is stack mid-side processing. And so oh. I, I might have a mid-side EQ or two and and maybe a mid-side compressor. And and I do my stereo imaging because I, I don't like to do everything at once. Right. And so I'm a real big fan of of doing a little bit of processing and then in the next step do a little bit more processing, you know, and and do it incrementally. I think there's I think that gives you better results, especially in in mastering where you don't want to do too much. Yeah, in and general. I do too. But that has had it works really effectively for stereo image and I've actually had feedback that um they thought I was using an imager where I wasn't. Oh. And so I got to be careful there too cuz as you stack Cause you don't, it's real subtle if you just do it in one, but as you start stacking mid sides, 
then you can really affect the stereo image that way. I found out in my, you know, in the way that I like to do things. So again, even in, in that, when you're not using an imager, um, you have to be careful in midside not to overdo it there as well. So stereo imaging is definitely something that uh, needs a light hand, whether you're working working yeah, with an image stacking or, i think that's a good use case for checking it in mono to make sure you didn't go too far yeah but yeah stereo imaging wasn't really the topic today <laughs> we we're gonna talk nope. about eqs nonetheless it's and a great topic i think but it is a great topic but i think we just covered it yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we're done with it and scene but we were talking so, about uh parametric equalizers a bit because that's right probably other than having to get a new set of speakers, what was, you know, the next thing that's on my priority list is a, is a, another next analog piece of gear. And I was going to say, so you're looking at a hardware EQ. Yeah. But the, the idea of parametric equalization isn't specific to hardware. And, and that's kind of what no, I of course not. wanted to talk about because so all EQs are not created equally. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I've been saving that all yeah. week. So what do you what do you know about what, what makes a parametric EQ parametric? Well, what makes it parametric, it's kind of a calculus thing. You have control over the curve. Generally, you have control over the curve that is being EQ'd. Um, although I think that there's also uh, some versions that are considered to be parametric that are parametric because you can sweep the area you can change the area it's not fixed right. um that you are uh, eqing unlike say a graphic equalizer like you might have found on an older stereo or um or, or actually like some guitar pedals i have a bass graphic equalizer pedal which is very cool and that has the sliders and each slider ha- is uh, basically like a little fixed bell um that is only for a specific band of eq but a parametric eq you can change the band uh within the same eq if that makes sense yeah definitely so there's there's three things that make up a parametric eq and that would be uh you have level adjustment so that's that's your gain and that could be a positive or negative value so turning up or down the level of a frequency which you have another control which is what frequencies are you working with? So, and then what you were just talking about is the range, which is the Q or uh, stands for the quotient of change. And that's the bandwidth that you are affecting. Right. Okay. And then there's, um, there's also some parametric EQs that don't have a Q control, but they have proportional Q. And so depending on the level of gain depends on how much Q is automatically applied. So like if you were dialing in, say, 100 hertz, and then you only had like a half a dB of of gain applied to it or something like that, then the proportional Q would be really low, meaning that uh, you'd have a really wide quotient of change so the 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 bandwidth of frequencies that you were working on would be wider but if you gave I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture I'm trying to picture how this would uh 
sound to somebody who doesn't have a visual image in their mind of what we're talking about? Because I'm picturing it yeah. as we're talking. Well, think about trying to pick. <laughs> yeah, well, think about the um, the smiley face curve in a in go. an EQ. Okay, and okay, in this case, let's say uh, we've got 400, and we've got it pulled down by um, one dB. Okay, and so we've got this little trough at 400. And mm-hmm. with a parametric EQ that doesn't have an actual Q control, but it uses proportional Q, that's going to have at that level, and it depends on the EQ, but just so for example, at at negative one dB of cut, then let's say we have a really wide trough that goes out and extends you know, over to like maybe 200 hertz and then up over to maybe uh, 600 hertz or something like that, okay? And then, but if we pulled that gain way down, then the the farther down we pull it, the tighter the Q is. So it comes from where it was at like 200 and 600 for the entire sweep. It now comes down to maybe like four to 300 and four to 500. So it just narrowed the bands that were affecting. And the greater the cut, the, the amount of gain difference from zero, the narrower that bandwidth becomes. So you could crank the gain all the way down and the, the Q might be you know, centered on 400, but it might be like a sweep of 375 to um, 425 or something like that. And so a real narrow, you're only working on affecting a real narrow band of frequencies. Right. So it's like a gentle slope hill versus a sharp peak. Yeah. And so uh, the more gain applied or cut, the tighter that peak is, which is the same thing that you're doing with a manual cue control, except that it's not reliant upon the amount of gain that you're applying. So then right. in, in that type where you can actually have a cue control, it allows you to uh, have negative one dB of cut, but then carve that into very narrow bandwidth if you want. Um, and each, you know, so those are, they're, they work a little differently. So the other one is the proportional cue is something that you might find in most like mixed bus parametric EQs that maybe be designed more for mixing where you don't need the refined control of Q, you know, at um, lower cut or boost levels. Um, whereas a mastering EQ, you'd want to have that in- increased control. That is, in most plugins, you have a Q control. Yeah, I find that now. And yeah. I don't know if that used to be the case, but I know it's it's basically the case now. And the, and the stock graphic parametric eq that i've used from go is uh has kind of spoiled me for for eqs that don't have a q control yeah but i mean even the ssl standard kind of um the 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 ssl eq has a eq has a q control that allows you to shape the bell of what frequency range you're cutting and then also sweep it but it's yeah. in four different um ranges i believe okay 
Yeah, so you might have stepped ranges or you might have a, um, what do you call it when it's not stepped? <laughs> you know, it's it's not switched. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, or it's, um, it's just continuous? a continuous, continuous. <laughs> thank you. A continuous range of control. And, but it's not to say that that's necessarily better having the Q control because the proportional Q does a really good job. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it might be more musical too, but I think it depends yeah. on your use case. You know, I've heard some analogies about that and musicality. It, 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 the wider the sweep, the wider the cue. The, I've heard that referred to as more musical. Yeah. Because it blends in across the spread of frequencies versus a real surgical cut or boost does. Mm-hmm. And so I guess those, you know, those things are case by case, but it's, I make some moves where I have offending frequencies that need to be dealt with that uh, I do that with. Uh, you know, I often have like a dynamic EQ at, oh, yeah, at, the, at the very issues. end of my chain to deal with problems that have occurred as you master and, and you enhance and, and do things, some things arise. Now they can either be fixed in the mix because let's say now the, um, the top end of the guitars came up with the vocals and that wasn't exactly what I wanted it to do. Right. And can I address that without without hurting the vocals sometimes I can you know and so I might work on that and try to carve that guitar down around the vocals without messing with the vocals um if I can't you know then it needs to go back to the mix engineer at that point because I got the vocals where I need it and it's really important so I would just you know, maybe ask for the guitar to come down maybe half a db in the mix sure and then just send that back to me. I drop it in, and that's the correction for the guitar, for the move that I made to enhance the, the vocals, if you know what I mean. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of work with the mix engineer that goes on, kind of like that, as you work through the process back and forth. It's not like a, a typical revision where something is bad. It's just that we're working together to, to reach a a state of the of the mix that that we want to get to. Yeah. And that's why I, I kind of recommend, or I, I, I recommend, and I do have, I, I keep a, like a limiter on my master bus when mixing so that I can kind of preview what the mix is going to sound like at full mastered level. So that it, anything that sounds like it's playing well and, and subtle at normal, you know, yeah. Mix volume um, might change when it hits heavy compression or it gets loud and like, oh, wow, those things are really fighting now. And, yep. and uh, then I pop it off and fix that. And while, while I don't know what the end um, average level is going to be, I kind of get an idea. You can take a look at, you know, how loud can you go before any other, any mastering processing is applied and you put a limiter on the end. And and start boosting things up. And actually, I'll, I'll work with the the fader on the track first to get that into a desirable range and then put a limiter on it and set my volume in the studio and my dB meter and get that kind of leveled out and try to push it to where I'm not, I'm just at the point where I'm, I'm just a below touching any of the transients 
And so I'm not affecting dynamics yet. It's as loud as I can go without affecting dynamics, basically. Right. And and so that's where I set that. And then, um, I guess here's a couple tips. <laughs> Before I do anything else, I check phase on everything. I check the... I correct phase if it's needed, too. And I... I listen for artifacts and do any repair work that needs to be done before. So if there's clicks or noise, then I try to address that. If I can't fix noise, if it's something that can't be done easily off the master track, that's, you know, send back to try to get noise taken care of on the specific track that's causing it. But get through that. So there's the, so phase, artifacts. And checking in mono, and once I get through those things, that's when I start working on the actual listening and processing. The phase part, I don't even listen to the, the track. I, I may have, I may have previewed it already, but that's just to hear what I'm getting into. But with phase rotation, that doesn't affect RMS or anything. It just, it just gets the the phase corrected so that you have a balance of of dc offset on your waveform to make sure that you don't have peaks higher than you do lower basically mm-hmm. and what that does for you is it uh, without a without changing the overall any rms or anything at all it allows you to get maybe one or two more db of headroom because you don't have that offset on one side taking up that one or two dB that when you correct the rotation, it, it drops that down so it centers out on the zero line. And so you don't have that extended level of dB being taken up for no reason at all, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I wasn't sure what any of that had to do with EQ, but, um, well, that, I'm looking at the waveform. So, yeah. And, and so I don't know how we got here. We were talking about, <laughs> maybe we were talking about linear phase EQ versus regular EQ. Cause apparently now I, I, I had this told to me once and I, and once it, it kind of blew my mind, but EQ technically is a selective volume control you're controlling the volume of bands of frequency. And um, it's interesting when you start to think about it that way, you can turn bands up and down. And then, you know, if it's sweepable, you can choose the band. Then if there's a cue, you can choose how much of which band. Um, And most EQs are, if you, if you go too far with them, you can actually introduce phase problems. Um, with things fighting with each other with with each other and then that's why they've created a linear phase EQ. I don't really like the sound of them, but they're supposed to eliminate um phase problems that would be introduced by a normal EQ and uh, I've heard that they're used frequently in mastering, but um I find that they introduce latency and that they're I don't know, they don't sound as natural to me. What do you think about linear phase EQ? Yeah, I don't use one. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I look at phase as something that gets corrected ahead of time. And, uh, you know, there's there's different ways to approach it where you can zoom in and 
compare waveforms and get them lined up manually, things like that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, where maybe there's a track, maybe you've got a couple tracks of guitar with a front and rear cabinet miking, you know, so you got two mics on it. And yeah. and even though those had the polarity reversed on them, they might be slightly out of phase because maybe the back mic was a little bit further away than the front mic was and so it's it's just slightly off, you know. Yeah, I'd say anytime you double mic something, you should check the phase. Yeah. But I don't run into it too much. Really, phase offset, the amount of the amount of amplitude above the zero line compared to the amount of amplitude below the zero line is mm-hmm. something that I have to deal with. Yeah. And really, that's just a matter of using something like um, RX and checking the percentage of phase rotation on the original track and doing any corrections as needed on it. Right. Now in general, and I, I, this was something that, again, I was told a long time ago and I've lived by it and I've, I, I find it to be the most musical way of working, which is, um, to make your EQ cuts surgical with a, with a, with a narrow cue and to make your boosts wider with a, with a broader EQ. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that is a rule of thumb across the board or not. I never really think about it like that. I, I just look at what what is it that I'm needing to do. Right. And so I don't know. I don't know that I would subscribe to that because it just it just depends on what you're trying to achieve. If you have Yeah, yeah, you know, I agree with that. If you have a wider what was that you said? So uh cuts should be narrow. Cuts would be narrow and then boosts would be broad. I think that's only because uh, usually when you're cutting, you're cutting a specific issue out. Yeah. And you don't want to affect things that you maybe unintentionally didn't want to affect. Well, let's imagine that you, you've you got a track with a, a flute player <laughs> or a triangle, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mix a lot of triangles. Yeah, so, so you've got a triangle track. And, and the, and the guy is jamming out on this triangle and spit my tea, dude. (laughs) And so it's being recorded in this room. And let's say that there's some, some low rumble, uh, noise floor in the recording. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason for an instrument that doesn't have any valuable information below what I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the triangle yeah, yeah. begins. What uh, four hundred? Let's say four hundred fifty. Yeah. yeah, let's say rule of thumb triangle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a candidate for a a high pass, right? And they call that a filter. That took me a while to get that terminology. There's the high pass filter, and that's because it cuts everything below it. It's not a yeah. bell, right? It's a, just it's like a shelf yeah (laughs) no a shelf sorry a shelf is something else a filter is more like a cliff yep and so in in terms of of narrow cuts that's not a narrow cut that's that's a very broad cut of a whole band of frequencies below a certain point true true and which doesn't occur for me in mastering much unless i've got really low end problems and I never really have a need for a low pass filter in what I do because I there just doesn't ever seem to be any problems like that that 
Yeah, I don't see why you would on a on a two track because yeah. more likely than not, there's not enough information up there, and you'd probably want to boost with a yeah with a um with a shelf. But if I've got actually. excessive rumble at 20 hertz or below, that's mm-hmm. probably not great information. And so you know, it may not be a a really steep drop off maybe i want some of that from like 20 to 18 or something like that but then to you know so just depending on on what i'm hearing and down there what i'm feeling so like a 12 db per octave yeah because 24 is like pretty tight you know so 24 is pretty steep yeah that's that's drastic yeah 12 is good Uh, 24 is is what you'd use on the triangle yeah i would totally (laughs) yeah whenever i'm mixing a triangle i generally with a 24 db per octave <laughs> I, I cut it off at about 600 yeah <laughs> now, now listen you know it's going to come up the uh, you know the the local orchestra is going to hit you up for a mix job yeah, it's going to happen next week now that i mentioned triangle oh he mixes triangles so for cut no so i'm so i'm thinking of say let's say you get a, a guitar track and uh, they're using a you know an amp simple sim, uh, amp <laughs> simplifier amp simulator, and there's there always seems to be in my experience this kind of area where there's this fizz, this kind of digital fizz. Sometimes it's like a whistle, and it's usually somewhere in the twenty two hundred range, twenty four hundred somewhere in there. There and you, the way to find that is to do a steep. Q boost of about tw- uh, you know tw- t- between twelve and twenty four dB sweep around until you find it just whistling like a like a tea kettle and then pull that pull that frequency down. You might have to do it a couple times. But, yeah, uh, that's a good use case for a steep Q cut, and then um, and then you can just kind of in put. I would use. I, I like to use one eq for cuts and one for boosts and so then after that i might put like a poltex style and do like my broader musical you know shaping right and on the pass filters it's important to find the fundamental because that's really just below that's where you want to actually apply that pass Mm -hmm. or above but like i said i don't really haven't ever had a chance you know that would be like some i have had um Mixes come in before where there was like anomalous artifacting, like 20K hertz. And I've got like a 20 dB signal at 20 hertz. I can't even hear it, but I can see it. Oh, really? Yeah. And no idea <laughs> where it came from, some processing from some plugin or something somewhere okay. from the mix engineer. Yeah. And they weren't aware of it because they didn't hear it. And I didn't hear it, but I just happened to see it. Yeah. And that's about the only time I can recall actually applying a low pass. And that was, uh, you know, so I put a low pass on at like, I don't know, it was like 19 K Hertz just to like, whatever that is, it can't be good. So let's get rid of it. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Well, because that kind of stuff, that's going to, even though you can't hear it, it's going to affect your master bus processing. And it's it's also data compressor. And it's also what it's data. Yeah, that's true too. It's so it's part of everything that's being computed in the digital processing. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, to get rid of that is only going to improve. So it's like adding like way high end harmonics. That's probably what it was. Yeah. 
and and it's not you know you can't hear it with <laughs> the human ear can't hear over 20 at the uh, 20k at best yeah. and and most people probably over 18 because you know especially yeah have been doing audio for a while you probably lose the ability to hear uh that high-end information yeah i think maybe it was some kind of poltergeist that was in the recording session that was attempting to <laughs> communicate you should have um you should have isolated that and then played it backwards and uh, see what it said. i should actually i still have that track i should go back <laughs> that would be, that'd be kind we'll of take spooky. that and then i'll start read i'll pitch it down until i can understand mm-hmm. dude that there you go i'm like got chills that's scary uh, I'm not going to do that, man. Freak. I'm going <laughs> to just creep me out. <laughs> no, we're going to leave that thing in the archive. I ain't touching it. <laughs> yeah, don't pull that out of the archive. That's like that's like opening happen. up the crypt, you know? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um. Yeah, I realized when we got talking that there's so much more to this than I thought there was. We didn't know if we're going to have enough information for a full episode. Isn't there always? Active EQs, passive EQs, high... Pass filters, low pass filters, uh, sweepable bands, um, notched EQs. We have the Poltec style EQ versus, and then there's the you know the Poltec trick, where you both uh, yeah. boost and attenuate the same band, then it does something musical to your bottom end. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. There's all kinds mid side, and somehow we got off on phase and artifacts, and and ended up with. Uh, High frequency poltergeist. poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun walk a through the, wherever. <laughs> now, I want to say, even though you did say that you only found that poltergeist uh, with with by visually inspecting EQ, it is a trap um, that I've had to overcome. Uh, to mix with your eyes instead of your ears, as they say, because when you're able to watch that, you know, that histogram, you're able to watch that waveform jumping up and down. You can, uh, you can fall into the trap of going, Oh, I need to boost this. I need to cut that. And you may not need to, it may actually fit very well. Yeah. Um, for me, you should be listening to it. I don't use my eyes in the, the bandwidth that I believe is within my range of hearing. I'm just using those visual tools like that for that example for yeah that's a that's that a good use outside. case that's a good use case like the lowest lows and the highest highs that's a good time to go okay there's something there that I can't hear um, I might need to deal with that especially down below you know 20 hertz because um, that's going to affect your your compressors um, and if you can't hear it it's probably not doing much good yeah I do use metering uh, uh, for to inspect change, what's occurred in that last move. Oh, yeah. So here's what I'm hearing. Can I visually confirm that? Is that in the range I thought it was? And then to also mm-hmm. help me, I'm going, okay, I think that's in the 60 hertz range. But then you go look at the, the visual tool and get confirmation on that. It's kind of a neat thing to do if you do it like that too, because it helps ear train over time. But, uh, you know, to get confirmation that, yeah, that that was around sixty, or actually, actually, it's it's closer to seventy. So I may want to shift over where I'm actually uh, working in that EQ range 
because I may be grabbing some things depending on the cue lower yeah. than, than what I really intended to. And so if I can focus in into that offending signal, tools, visual tools can help you make sure you're in the right area. Agree. And that reminds me that that BX digital EQ I mentioned earlier, um, that kind of that one kind of threw me when I started using it, because as soon as you touch a knob, it isolates that frequency that the knob affects. Oh, really? So that you can hear what you're doing until you stop touching oh. the knob. And it's very, it's like the same feeling you get when you drive a hybrid car for the first time and it shuts the engine off at a stoplight. <laughs> and you're like, what just happened? And then it starts the car again and you go, it was kind of like that feeling. I'm like, wait, what just happened to my music? Yeah. A metric AB that I use for the AB stuff and uh, it has some visualization stuff on there, but it also lets you isolate by bandwidth. And, yeah, I love that. Which is really that neat. Tool. Yeah, that's a, that's a great plugin. It is a great plugin. Yeah, I need to use that more. <laughs> I need to go back and watch a video on how to use all of its features because yeah. it, it, I use it for about you know twenty percent of what it can do. I don't think you need to use all of its features, but you'll, you'll find the the ones that suit your workflow. Yeah, and then you'll end up going, always going back to them. I got the thing to AB, and I didn't care about any of the other stuff on it. Yeah, same. And there's a, there's a ton of stuff on there that I don't use. I, I just stick with the default settings. I don't do a whole lot of isolation, but they got a, a, some presets for selecting bandwidths and stuff like that. If you want to look at them and I've done that when I'm trying to track down problems or whatever. Yeah. It's got some phase analysis tools and obviously the LUFS metering and stuff like that. You know, I like the, are you deaf setting for LUFS metering? Yeah. Are you deaf? <laughs> I guess I missed that part. <laughs> I'll have to look again. I'm mixing something later this afternoon. I'll look at it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, good luck with your speaker search, dude. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm going to go grab another.